You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. If you're visiting with us, we really believe that the, God, the Word of God is the Word of God. So if you could stand to honor the reading of it, we ask that you stand because we really do believe that when you read the pages of this book, the Holy Scriptures, the Bible, you hear the very voice that spoke the galaxies into existence. I ask that you stand because uh, it, not only is it the Word of God, but you will sit when I preach because I have nothing good to offer you than, than, than other than what's inside this book. And so, this is the Word of the Lord. We're in the Sermon on the Mount. We're at, we're at Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 25. You can read in your Bible. You'll, you, the words will be on the screen. You can check it out on your digital device. This is the word of the Lord, verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by, becoming, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes, clothes the, the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You may be seated. So, what is anxiety? <laughs> I am a pastor, yes, but I, am, I struggle with the same stuff that you struggle with. My heart uh, is fickle, just like yours. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount, and I... I am blown away every time over the strength and need for expository preaching in the local church. I wish I could say I was creative enough that this passage fell on this Sunday, but I'm not. Just so happened that we bring Lane and Sarah out, and we're considering Lane to be our pastor of discipleship and worship, and, and uh, you know they got their own anxieties, and then I you know, have struggled with sleep ever since we decided we're going in, in a direction that would result in releasing you know, our, our previous worship pastor, Jonathan, and, and moving in this direction. And This passage for this week and last night, I went to bed at 10.30 thinking, I'm going to go to bed, I'm going to sleep, and I'm going to be all rested up, and my brain would not shut off until 1.30 in the morning. And I'm like, Lord, please, I need sleep. Like, do something. Like, like where's the easy button? <laughs> Make me, I need a nap. And then I woke up like at five. I'm like, oh, that's not enough sleep. It's ironic that, that I'm preaching on this passage and I thought, well, great, maybe, maybe this is just a reminder of uh, how far short I fall. 
You know, anxiety is the body's response to fear, tension, or worry. It's, you know, it's an emotion that God put in us. Like all of our emotions, God put in us. And, uh, and it's the body's way of defending itself. Karen Cassidy, a psychologist, said that when a person lives in a heightened state of anxiety for a long period of time, the body gets to the place where it's ratcheted up and then has lost its ability to come back down again. It's kind of like a car being stuck in idle for a long period of time and uh, when it's not in gear. And doctors will tell you that being in a state of anxiety or stress, that's another way of saying it, for a long period of time can actually shorten your life and definitely affect the quality of your life. In a sermon preached on this very passage, Tim Keller said something. That was just He said it so well, I cannot improve upon it. And, and so I want to share it with you. The words will be on the screen. But he said this. He said, I think when Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow, at the very end of the passage, he's summing up everything else he said. Worry is concern about the potential, not the actual. Worry is concern about that which we can't control. The essence of anxiety is the desire to control that what we, what we can't control. That's why we're anxious. We feel the need for control in an area where there's no possibility of control. That causes anxiety. Now that's what it is. Anxiety is the will to control the uncontrollable. And I thought, that's really good. And here, Jesus, in this passage, passage gives us two reasons why anxiety makes no sense for the Christian. Why worrying about tomorrow makes no sense for the Christian. And then, just so you stick with me here, he also gives us help. He offers us help in battling our anxieties because, you know, the emotions are not like an easy button. You can't turn them on and turn them off. What anxiety can do, though, the danger of anxiety, the danger of worry, is that it could, it could cause you to be disobedient to God. And so I just, in our time together, I just want to help you, you know, see that and unpack that. Uh, in fact, somebody said that anxiety, the root of anxiety is unbelief. The root of anxiety is unbelief. Think about that for a moment. Well, you might be asking, well, where, where's that in the passage? Like, I, I don't see it. Where is it, Pastor Keith? Well, verse 30 this is what Jesus says. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven or the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Does he stop there? No, he says, oh, you of little faith. The root of anxiety is unbelief. And, uh, and, and what Jesus offers us here is help. He offers us help. And so there are two reasons that he gives us for why anxiety doesn't make any sense for the Christian. And in, intertwined in that, in his, in his two reasons, he gives, us, he gives us a solution to it. Not the easiest solution. Somebody came up to me at the end of the second service and said, easier said than done. I'm like, yeah, I get it. So reason number one is God is at an eye. Now, you, the Lord's Prayer marks the center of the Sermon on the Mount. And the very beginning of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said when we pray, which he was modeling for us how to pray, when we pray, if you're a Christian, you can direct your eyes upward off of yourself and you can cry out, Our Father. You know, Our Father. He doesn't start off with Adonai. He doesn't start off with Yahweh. He doesn't start off with Elohim. He starts off with Our Father. If you're a Christian, if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, 
the, the God of all creation invites you to come to him and to address him as Father. And so we, we pray. Our Father. Well, who is this God that we pray to? Well, he, he's Elohim. He, he speaks into existence things that never existed before. He speaks in all the galaxies form. He speaks in the mountains rise in adoration. He speaks and life comes forth when life did not exist. He speaks. He is Elohim. He creates out of nothing. And we echo, if you're a Christian in here, you ought to echo some of the things that we read in the Bible, like Hebrews chapter 11, which says this. Let's read this together. Ready? By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So that's what we believe. And, and I love Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. All of heaven is singing and celebrating who God is. He is Elohim, he is Yahweh, he is Adonai, he made redemption possible through his Son. All the angels, all of heaven, we will join in with them and we will sing this song in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. Let's read it together. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Why? Well, for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. That's why. So we can pray to him and we can go to him with that kind of confidence. Jeremiah, who, if you know anything about the prophet Jeremiah, there is a book in the Bible titled Jeremiah, and then there's Lamentations that Jeremiah wrote. His nickname was the Weeping Prophet. Uh, you know, you could read things in there like, man, like, like I, can't, I, I can't even keep anything in my stomach. Like, I, like there's all kinds of crazy, crazy things happening around me, and, and, and it's, just, it's just nuts. And, and so he prays this prayer in Jeremiah chapter 32, verses 17 through 19, in the midst, in the context of the worst days of Israel's existence, the, the Hebrews people, their, their existence. They were in exile. They were brought into exile by Babylon. And this is what he prays. Our Lord God, in Hebrew, Yahweh, Adonai. No, sorry. Adonai, Yahweh, in Hebrew. It is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Okay? So if you look around, like, okay, yeah, that's amazing. Like, I woke up this morning. God spoke the galaxies into existence. One of the things I love about Wyoming is the sunsets and the sunrises. I love it here. Um, One, because trees hate Wyoming which that's a bad thing. Like I wish there were more trees, but you could see forever, and and you could you, you see all this stuff. And and Jeremiah is saying, "You made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Therefore, nothing is too hard for you. You show steadfast love. That's unending love. Uh, the Hebrew word I believe for that one is Hesed. This is covenantal love." Uh, to thousands, but you repay the guilt of the fathers to their children after them. That's why they're in exile. And then he goes on to say, O great mighty God, O great mighty Elohim, the root that's used there is for Elohim, whose name is the Lord, Yahweh, should be all capitals, of hosts, 
great in, in counsel and mighty in deed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of man, rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. Do you know what Jeremiah was doing there? He was speaking to the anxiety of his heart. I mean, do a study sometime through the scriptures and read those prayers. He was speaking to the anxieties of his heart. And so we come to verse 25, and Jesus, the very first thing he says in his sermon is, therefore. Now, I said last week when we were talking about treasures in heaven and treasures on earth, uh, that, that this section, verses 19 through 24, is connected with 25 through 34. Like it's all one statement that Jesus is saying. Therefore, well, if you're ever studying the Bible and you see therefore, you have to figure out why is it what? Therefore, good, for those of you who took the inductive Bible study class and, and have been there. Um, so, therefore, in light of, in light of what I said in verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. In light of that, in light of verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either they will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In light of that, like you, you want God as your master. He is a good God. He doesn't need to improve upon being good. He is sovereign. He speaks into the existence things that do not exist. What is money going to do for you? Is it going to ex extend your life? No. No. So, uh, verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. And you see the connection? Uh, do not be anxious about your life. And the, the verb that he uses here, and this is important because I want you to hear this, because like Jesus understands your heart. He understands your anxiety. He knows that there's no easy button to turn off your, your emotions. He gets it. And so, he uses a present imperative. I said this last week in verse 19. He says, be diligent in not laying up for yourselves treasures on earth. Be diligent in laying up treasures in heaven. Work at it. Like, like you, you, it's a fight. It's a fight to keep your eyes upward and not on yourself. And then in verse 25, he says, I tell you, same verb tense, pre, you know, present imperative, uh, work at not being anxious about your life. You have to fight it. That's what I was doing last night from 10.30 to 1.30. I was fighting the vo against the voices of my heart. Saying, what if this doesn't work out? What if this? What if that? What if somebody doesn't? Blah, 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 blah. And it's like, eh, my brain's like, you know, just going on and on and on. And then I just started praying, Lord, you got this. You're Adonai. You're, you're Yahweh. You love Meadowbrook more than ever I could than I, than I could ever love Meadowbrook. You love my family more than I ever could love my family. You could be a better husband to my wife and a better father to my children than I ever could dream to be. So Jesus says, "Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? There's something greater going on. You know so." Focus on, uh, on reality. Well, what's reality, Jesus? Reality is that there's a sovereign God who's, who's in control. When I was in seminary, I was asked, one of the required books that we were asked to read is a book titled Future Grace by John Piper. And um, 
I read through that. I couldn't put it down. It was one of the few books where I just read it from cover to cover, and I couldn't put it down. And, and I read it not just once, not just twice. I read it a bunch of times to where the spine was all falling apart. He has a whole chapter on anxiety. I forgot about this chapter. He has a whole chapter on anxiety in his book. And there's something he says about anxiety. I thought, yeah, this is so, so good. I want to I share it with you. And he says this. He says, and the words will be on the screen. He says, stop for a moment and think how many different sinful actions and attitudes come from anxiety. Anxiety about finances can give rise to coveting and greed and hoarding and stealing. Anxiety about succeeding at some task can make you irritable and uh, abrupt and sh- surely. Uh, anxiety about relationships can make you withdrawn and indifferent and uncaring about other people. Anxiety about how someone will respond to you can make you cover over the truth and lie about things. So anxiety could be, if, so if anxiety could be conquered, a lot of sins would be overcome. Isn't that true? That's so true. And so here, Jesus, in verse 26, he gives us, in this first part of, the, of, of this section of Scripture, he gives us a word, a helpful word, and three examples to help us work through our, our anxiety. And the word that he gives us here is look. And it literally means contemplate. Look intently at this. Well, what am I to look at intently, Jesus? What do you want me to study? What do you want me to contemplate? Well, for starters, the birds of the air. Contemplate that for a moment. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Contemplate that. Like they got up this morning. They ate this morning. And God feeds these birds that are so far insignificant than you, human. <laughs> you bear the image of the living God, not the birds. But we do. We bear the image of the living God. And, and Jesus is saying this to the Christian. He's speaking to you, brothers and sisters. He's speaking to me. And he, he's telling us, now, now, wrap your mind around that. That this God who feeds the birds has redeemed you. He's purchased you. So contemplate that for starters. God moved time and space to send his son to die in your place for your sins. Don't you think you're worth more than the birds? Like he didn't die for the birds. He died for rebellious, wicked, sinful human beings. Why did Jesus do it? Because God so loved the world. That's why. Uh, what else should I contemplate, Jesus? Well, how about the fact that you got up this morning? You woke up. Your life might not be what you want it to be. It might not look like the way that you envisioned it. You got up this morning. You got up because God let you get up. You know, how much time does your worrying and your anxiety add to your life? Doctors say it shortens your life. <laughs> It can cause ulcers worrying. It can cause, uh, like, the amount, of, the amount of stress could cause high blood pressure. That could cause heart disease. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And Jesus says in verse 27, And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? The answer is what? Zero. <laughs> like, 
from 10.30 to 1.30 something in the morning did nothing to add to the quality of my life. I'm telling you, based on the way I feel right now, <laughs> right? And the third thing to contemplate Jesus gives us here, a third example is the beauty of the lilies and the grass of the field. Now, I know in Wyoming we get about two months of flowers, and then they're all dead, right? And the trees all season long look angry, kind of look like they're pouting. They're echoing the same thing you echo around this time of the year. I hate the wind. I hate the wind. <laughs> but summer's coming. Those two months make it worth living here. Uh, and, and the grass, the grass what? I mean, it seems true in Colorado. The grass lasts for a month <laughs> before it starts turning brown, unless you really water it, and then your water bill goes through the roof. Uh, and, and, and so Jesus says, you know what? Like, look at those things. Look at the, look at the lilies. Look how they're clothed. And he said, uh, they neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God clothes the grass, the grass is going to go in the recycle, or the, the whatever they call that thing. We got three trash cans. One of them, that's where the grass goes. Where does that go? Some landfill somewhere. And I thought to myself, okay, so what does it take for a seed to germinate? And so I went on Google, because, you know, give me a plant, it will be dead in a week. Um, I'm not very good at caring for plants. Uh, any plants that are in our house is, that are alive is credit to my wife. Um, but there are six steps. Prepare the seed starting soil mix, okay? Step two, place the seeds in soil or a wet paper towel. Step three, cover the seedlings with a plastic bag or lid. Step four, place the seeds in a warm location. Step five, keep the potting mix moist. Step six, thin seedlings to encourage larger plants. Nowhere in that list is a, is a description of how to actually make the seed germinate. Because farmers will tell you that at the end of the day, God is the one who makes things grow. Right? And Jesus said they, they, don't, they don't toil or spin, and, and yet they grow. And God clothes them. He, clothes, he literally, you got flowers, and he clothes the dirt of the earth with a blanket of grass. And, uh, and what are you worrying about then? Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Like, do you really think that God is ignorant of your needs? So what do we do with these three examples that Jesus gives us? I think the, psalm, the psalmist of Psalm 42 helps us a little bit understand, okay, so how do you apply this? Let's, let's read this, ready? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Hope in God. Like that psalmist, he says, you know, I, I, like a deer that pants for streams of water, I've arrived at those streams where I used to find you, and now that stream is all dried up, and I'm going to die if I don't hear from you, and, and, and that's my experience. And then, so, so what ought I to do? Why are you downcast in my, my soul? Preach to my heart. Preach to the anxieties of my heart. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? Put your hope in God. Why? Why? Why should I put my hope in God? 
Because like in the past, I will again praise him, my salvation and my God. That's why. And then Peter, who wrote his letter to a group of Christians in 1 Peter who were suffering, they were having their homes confiscated, some of them had their lives threatened, they lost, they're losing their jobs, their families were disowning them, and he says this in 1 Peter chapter 5, let's read this together, ready? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Why, brothers and sisters? Say it. Because he cares for you. Your heart will say, God's not there. He has forgotten you. He is angry with you. He has other things to tend to. You are not important. That's what your heart will say. But what does reality say? Oh, there is one who went to a cross that demonstrates to me just how much my God loves me. The Lamb of God, he bled and died for me. And when, at the end of that, as he bore the wrath of God on that cross, he screamed, it is finished. And he wasn't just saying, it's done. He was saying, it is finished. I have redeemed the people unto myself and unto my Father. I have purchased them. I am making them beautiful. They are mine. And my God will treasure them and love them. That's you, brothers and sisters. That's me. So that we preach that to our own hearts. And when you are afraid, do not turn to self, but turn to the one who made you in his image, who sent his son to die in your place. Which leads me to the reason number two. And that is, Adonai is your heavenly father. The sovereign one is your heavenly father. And he says, in, in verse 31, if you look again, it says what? Therefore. In light of what I just said in verses 25 through 30, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? In light of that, in light of who God is, you have no reason to be anxious. And when you are anxious, what you can do is you can speak to your heart. Now, if you listen to your heart, it will lead to disobedience. It will lead to anxiety. Last, week, last year's sermon series, one of the, one of the um, things that I've heard Christians say is, listen to your heart. No, don't. <laughs> Listen to God's heart. Listen to his word. Don't listen to your heart. I gave out coffee mugs. So don't, listen. I said, uh, you know, don't listen to your heart. And I had this heart carrying on uh, this piece of iron. It says the heart is a liar. <laughs> it's a liar. What, shall, <laughs> what then shall we say to these things? This is what you can preach to your heart. If God is for us, who can be against us? Right? If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, how do I know that he's not against me? Verse 32, he who did not spare his son and gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He's not talking about nice clothing. He's not talking about a, a larger bank account. He's talking about you. He's doing something beautiful in you. He cares for you. He loves you. 
the, the danger of an anxious heart is that it can push you towards disobedience. Like God may be calling you to do something, and your heart, if you're listening to your heart, it's like, it's too risky. There's too much at stake. I, I don't think it's worth it. You, you shouldn't do it, and it could lead you to disobedience. Next week, we have a, a couple that's going to be sharing their story. They were uh, sitting in the back, and we were talking about, uh, I was answering one of the questions that, that was asked, you know, do Christians have the right to judge? And uh, I answered it with the Matthew passage, which is next week. We're going to look at that passage. And um, God grabbed the hold of their hearts, and they're going to share their story with you. It's really, really cool. We're going to share that next week. But you preach to your heart. Like, like, what does that sound like? Well, it can sound like Isaiah 46. Our God is God. There is no other. Our God is God. There is none like Him who declares the end from the beginning. And from the ancient times, things not yet done, who declares, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. I keep going back to that, brothers and sisters. Like I may lose sleep <laughs> at night, but uh, it's, it's preaching that to my own heart that compels me to listen and not to the voice of God, not only listen to the voice of God, but to obey. And the same is true for you. Jesus is speaking to the Christian here. And I know, I know he's speaking to the Christian because of what verse 32 says. For the Gentiles. Now, read into that. Gentiles means pagans, those who do not believe in Elohim, Yahweh, Adonai. That's what he's saying. This is what Jesus is saying here. The unbelievers, the unbelievers seek after these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And, and newsflash, just because you do not believe in God doesn't mean he didn't wake you up this morning. Right? The, he, it, the same rain that rains that, that on the unbeliever rains on the believer. The same sun that shines on the unbeliever shines on the believer. And even though they do not look to Elohim, to Yahweh, or to Adonai for the day, for their day-to-day -day needs, it doesn't mean that God's not providing for them. And Jesus is like, hey, we got one up on them. And it's not because of anything you've done. He redeemed you. And you not only know this God who is Elohim, Yahweh, and Adonai, but you call him father and he looks to you and he sees a son or he sees a daughter that he treasures and that he adores so why are you wigging out over tomorrow right why are you wigging out like and, and when you're tempted to wig out just look to the cross and then consider that after Jesus breathed his last breath on that cross, they took him down from that cross, they put him in a tomb, they sealed the tomb, and three days later, what did he do? He got up and he walked out, validating everything that he claimed and everything that he did on your account for the glory of God. That son who died for you, I, I, was, I, was, I was just meditating on this. Like, <laughs> Verse 31 do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? I was thinking, okay, what is it that the Christian has that the, that the pagan does not have? That son 
who died for you, who redeemed you out of the great love that God has for you is the bread of life that satisfies your spiritual hunger. That son who died for you, who bled for you, who cried out, it is finished on your account and rose on the third day is the living water that satisfies your, your thirsty soul. Jesus, the Son of God, who lived the perfectly righteous life that you could never live and died a death that you deserve and, and, and on the third day rose from the grave, did so to clothe you in his righteousness. So why are we wigging out? That's what I was saying to myself. <laughs> Shut up, heart. <laughs> Listen to God. You know, we all go through seasons where our hearts scream doubt and worry so loudly that the echo of our anxieties rings through the chambers of our brains and we can't sleep. But we go, we do what the psalmist did. Why are you so downcast? Why are you wigging out, Keith? Put your hope in God. Remember how he showed up in the past? He's going to do it again. It might not look like the thing that you thought it was going to look like, but he's going to do it his way on his terms, and it will be good for you, and it will be for his glory. And so, verse 33, verse 33, Jesus, Jesus offers us help here. He, he, here. Here it is. The help is found in verse 33, but what? Seek first, let's read it together, ready? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You want to know what help Jesus is offering you? He's like, don't focus on yourself and your own strength and your own ability. Focus Godward. Focus God. It's the same thing he said in verses 19 through 24. Focus your attention Godward. You might not be able to turn your mind off, but you can fight against your anxiety by turning your eyes away from yourself and onto him and speaking truth into your heart. And um, know that as you do that, there is a mercy that will not allow you to be swallowed up by your despair so long as you keep your eyes on him. Amen? I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He said this. He said, God's mercy is so great that you may sooner drain the sea of its water or deprive the sun of, its, of this light or make space too narrow than diminish the great mercy of God. Amen? So Jesus concludes, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And... Um, when it comes to our anxieties, I, I, I love what John Piper said here. He said this, he said, the words are on the screen. He said, you deal with anxieties by battling unbelief. Well, how do you battle unbelief, John? Well, you battle unbelief by meditating on God's word and asking for the help of his spirit. The, listen, I love this. The windshield wipers are the promises of God that clear away the mud of unbelief and the windshield washer fluid is the help of the Holy Spirit. I'm like, yes. So, why are you downcast, O oh my soul? And why are you in turmoil with me? The worship team's going to come back up. Lane's going to come up. And we're going to close just in part of that song that we, that we sang just before I came up. And I just want you to think about the words we're going to sing. And, and um, just, you know, let's sing it loud enough that Kentucky can hear us. Um, <laughs> and let's stand 
But I want you to just think about this. So come on, my soul. Don't get get shy on me. Lift up your song because you've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. And Brandon Lake's not talking about some inner strength that you have. He's like, man, if you know the word of God, preach the word of God into your, your soul and your heart. Like God gave you air in your lungs to be able to do that, so do it. And so let's sing this song and I'll come up and conclude with a prayer and then then we'll be dismissed. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.